You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. Today uh, we'll be talking again about the wilderness, into the wilderness. But it'll be a little bit different. We've talked about what the wilderness does to us, how we're drawn into the wilderness, how God speaks to us softly in the wilderness. But today we're, we're going to be talking about being alone with God, a wilderness that's our own choosing, a different type of wilderness. And it's, uh, it's of extreme importance in our lives because the the wilderness that we choose to go to will define the way the rest of our life goes. So uh, when reading through Scripture, I think as we've seen in our D groups, we've noticed that God hasn't changed. He's still the same, and he'll continue to be the same. Um, and the only reason we fail to notice is because we don't read his word enough. Uh, but he has always been the same, desiring one thing from us. He desires relationship. He wants our hearts. As we've been reading in Hosea, God desires our steadfast love, not sacrifice. He wants to be invited into every part of our lives, not just the great things, the big things, the things that shake the very ground beneath us, but he wants to be invited into the small things, the daily things, the rituals, into everything. Because in everything, we are to live like Christ lived. It seems that in a healthy relationship with God, there are three steps that are perpetually repeating. At least this is what I'm noticing, especially when reading the text we'll be going through today. We see them in the relationship between Christ and his apostles and even in the relationship between Christ and the Father while on this earth. These three things are being drawn into the wilderness, right? Being alone with him, responding faithfully to his sending, and eagerly returning when we have finished our mission. We will be talking about all these. We'll be reviewing all of them. But as you can tell, uh, there's one specific one that aligns really well with what we're talking about. Uh, Into the wilderness. And that is that first part, being drawn into the wilderness and being alone with him. Solitude with God. Alone time with God. So if, uh, if we are able to actually stand in the reading of Scripture. We'll read from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 32. Very small portion, but a powerful portion. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, And they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now this, this, well, we can be be seated. Yes. 
Now, this a portion of Scripture uh, seems, you know, uh, like you could go in different ways with it. But it's really hard to understand what's going on if we don't go back a bit. Because in, in the same chapter and in chapters prior, there are things happening that lead to verse 1. Okay? The initial thing that happened that led to verse 1, where it says the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught, is that they were chosen. In the third chapter of Mark, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Udemia, and from beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For, they, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. I don't know, this sounds pretty familiar to what we see going on here, right? Uh, that there's a limitless amount of people that Christ could help, and they're constantly coming and going. And uh, it's just the nature of what he was called to. And then he went up to the mountain. In that same chapter, it says, he went up to the mountain and called, so he separated up to the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. So this is what happened at their calling. They were called. And then after, they followed. They followed for quite a while. And they saw miracle after miracle. They saw powerful teaching after powerful teaching. And God continued to teach them during that time and separate them away during that time and teach only them even in certain circumstances. Then uh, they were sent. And this is where we get to the chapter we are in. Chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. Verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. And they went. The crazy thing is they went. I don't know about you, but this seems a bit scary. It seems uh, not an easy thing to do. I believe at this point, John had already been captured and was being held in jail. And I, I don't know if you understand, but the things he was preaching were not far different than what they were going to be preaching. So to understand what happens is persecution, if they were to preach what they were going to preach and still go out. And you're being sent out to teach, heal, and deliver. This is not a, a, uh, a clandestine type of type of service. This is out there. Everyone knows. Everyone hears. Everyone follows. Everyone goes to them. They are in the spotlight doing exactly what John was doing, preaching repentance. Doesn't this sound like there would be more apprehension? Maybe it has something, maybe it has something to do with the amount of time they spent with Christ. The many moments they had alone with him. Could it be that in being with him makes one, that when you are with him, being with him makes one capable of doing things that they would never have done and never had courage to do. 
big hint is yes, yes. It's a big part of it. Being alone with him is an absolutely crucial part of it. So we are able to see the progression of the three steps mentioned previously, and they're being put to work, and we see where it ends. And this is why I wanted to first read. It seems like it's, it's out of order, but we see where it ends. And it ends in verse 30, where they were eagerly returning, right? Which is the third step. This seems like, uh, I don't want to confuse anyone, but I know it's, it's out of order, but I want to start with, with, with verse 30 and focus on that. Because a lot of times, verse 30 which is eagerly returning and going into the wilderness, are connected. And we'll see that, actually. That it's, uh, they're not separate things, but they sort of flow into one another. So uh, let's, uh, let's go. Verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. They return, right? They return eagerly. Um, when I read this verse, instantly my mind goes to kids coming back from recess filled with all kinds, of, all, all kinds of excitement and running back to the classroom, telling their teacher all the awesome things they did and saw, right? I can imagine their joy. I can imagine this isn't just some, you know, row line by line, let's explain what happened, what did you do? But one was filling in the other, right? One was saying, we did this and we did that and this happened, right? You wouldn't believe it. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing what was going on. What do we find ourselves returning to? And what do we find ourselves saying when we return? Are we like the apostles? Are we, are we coming back eagerly, trying to share the wonderful things that happened, even if they're not wonderful, right? Are we eagerly returning? I think what most of us find is we find ourselves returning from our vineyard, our crop field, the place where we invest our time and our energy. And this could be work, this could be school, whatever else your heart beats for, the things you do. And after doing these things, we return to our families and our home, our friends, our fridge, our video games, television, YouTube, and the small majority of us books. But, you know... Whatever, you know, floats your boat. I like books too, I'm just uh, saying, you know. It's becoming a dying thing. And at night, we review how successful or unsuccessful the last day has been. We go over it. We say, hey, what did we do wrong? What happened, right? Because we have goals. We all have aims. And at the end of that day, we, we review them. We return to what sent us. And many times, that is our own fleshly desires. We return directly to those things because that's what motivated us to go in the morning. That's what motivated us to do what we do. It's us. We are our own idol many times. So what's different? What, what's, the, what's the big difference here about the apostles? What did they return from, and who did they return to, and why? The apostles were out at work in Christ's vineyard. And who did they return to? They returned to Jesus. Because Jesus was their family. He was their home. He was their best friend. He was their bread. He was their sustenance. 
He was their joy because he was their Lord. When we read, and they told him all that they had done and taught, I also think of my daughter running to me and telling me when I show her how to do something and she does it, I did it. I did it, Dad. I did it. And she claps her own hands. She's just so excited, so excited. It's natural to want to share the excitement of success with the one you love most and to share the brokenness and failures with them as well. That's just what a relationship is. Where do you want to go when your feet are torn, when your body is beaten, when you are stressed, when you are hungry, thirsty, and tired? If it's not Christ, there's a problem. If at the end of a hard day, we do not run to Christ for our rest, there's a problem. He must be everything for us. So after they had finished explaining it all to Christ, he sends them home, they clean up, they rest, they eat, uh, spend some time with their family, and then they go. No, not exactly, right? That's not what happens in this passage. Completely different. Um, we actually see the opposite. And this is where I'm talking, how returning and going into the wilderness seem to melt into one another. So just after they had returned, we see that Christ has a very different idea of rest than anyone else would have. And it's not a suggestion, but a command, right? Why would Christ say, come by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while? When you read that, does that not strike you? Come to a desolate place and rest a while? Desolate. Does this place sound like a spa where rest can be found? No food, no beds, no buildings, but desolate. Let me give you the definitions here. Desolate is a barren wasteland, devastated, deprived, destitute of inhabitants, deserted, solitary, and lonely. And in the NASB, it says secluded, far away from everyone else, everything else, out of sight, and the King James have, has it even more sort of a punch to it. It says, it is the desert to go to the desert. Come, let's go to the desert to rest. And in many other places in the, in, in the word, it's, it's talked about as wilderness. So we see desolate, wilderness, secluded. And we see, uh, what was that last very read? Uh, yes. Not only does Christ call them to the wilderness, but in context we know, right, they had just come from a trip, a mission, something that probably uh, was not easy. Actually, not even probably. We know it's not. They were sent without money, without money bag. They were sent with nothing, without bread, right? They were sent into a wilderness. But they had Christ. They had God with them. And they were in a place right now at this point where after they had returned, there were so many people moving and going that they could not even eat. So they're tired and hungry. And he says, let's go to the wilderness. Is he testing their patience? Is this what's happening here? Is he doing something that, you know, we just can't understand? Um, no, I would say no. This is actually not uncommon for Christ. 
He practiced the same principle throughout his ministry. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. This is, if, if, if you don't know what's going, if what's going on here, he's, he's making sure that before anyone else is going to wake up and pull him here, pull him there, he's going to spend time with his father. And Luke 5, 5 16 says that this is actually common. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. It was just who he, what he did. And not only that, but many times they couldn't find him. He they have to search a whole morning trying to find this guy. Where's Jesus? You have no idea the line that's outside your door. These people that want to be healed, right? Something seems to be different. His priorities are not what we would think the priority should be. This is not out of the ordinary, right? He prioritized God above all else. There's always more work to be done. And we can see that there's always more work to be done. But if we do not prioritize a desolate place to pray in our own lives, a desolate place to spend time with Christ in our own lives, we will never have it. Because the way this world is, is it's constantly moving and going. It's constantly pulling you in every direction. And if you do not decide to prioritize that prayer time, that alone time with God, you will miss it every time. The only... The reason I say this is because I find myself thinking that I don't have time so often. I've explained to Ovi, I've explained to other people, to, to my brothers here, that I'm just busy. There's always something to do. You got to cut your grass. You got to do this, go to work. You got to take care of the children. There's always something to do. The difference is Christ didn't have enough time to do everything else. But what he had enough time to do was to be alone with God. That was the thing he had enough time to do. Unfortunately, our lifestyle is flipped upside down. And we say the opposite. There was no excuse for him. No matter how urgently and pressing other things were, he would go. And similarly, he is teaching us and his disciples, his apostles, that above all, God comes first. This wilderness he calls us to is not optional, it is essential. So if you're thinking, maybe I can skirt this, there is no way to skirt this. This has to happen. Christ is saying, make this your priority. Yeah, you may be hungry. You may be thirsty. You may need rest. And the list of pressing things continues to exist and there's always a good reason. But come be with me. That's what he's saying. Come be with me. I'll feed you. I'll give you to drink. I'll renew your strength and give you rest. The other things in this life may seem to be more important, but they don't compare with me. Come be with me. Is there a sweeter sound than this? Unfortunately for us, too many times, it's not a sweet sound. Many times we feel it's boring. We feel like we have more important things to do. How many times this week have you walked by your Bible and heard him say, come spend time with me? He said, not now. 
How many times have you walked by the place you usually kneel and pray and heard him say, come spend time with me? And you said, later, Lord. Or maybe you walked by the instrument that you may play or are planning to listen to something on your way to work. And you hear him say, sing to me, worship me. And you say another time, Lord. This wilderness he calls you to is not some obscure desert location, right? It's the place where you can plug out of this world and get focused on God alone. That can be your closet, your garage, the backyard shed, your car. It's where you can give him all your attention. The place where you can pray undisturbed. Study his word without distraction. Sing a song of praise as loud as your heart wants. How long has it been since you left the preoccupations of this world and spent time with him alone? Is a question we should ask ourselves. Lord, make us long to be alone with you. Even at the heights of success in the midst of blessing, When the sun shines and when God's favor is raining down on us, let us seek to be alone with him. Like the apostles coming from successful mission, coming to be alone with him, running eagerly to him. Lord, help us. Let our eyes be transfixed on him alone and let our ears yearn to hear his voice. Right? Why is the wilderness, being alone with him, so important? Because when every distraction is removed, we see ourselves more clearly. We see the great chasm that exists between who we are and who he is. In the wilderness, we are laid bare. Our frailty is exposed and any sense of pride that we have is stripped from us. In the wilderness is where he renews us. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. It is where we are hardened and emboldened for battle. It is where God makes us ready to say, here am I, send me. And in the face of our enemies say, we will obey God rather than man. We will never go when he sends us if we do not spend time in the wilderness alone with him first. To be alone with him must be our greatest pleasure if we are to say he is our greatest treasure. Our lives as a Christian is a walk from wilderness to wilderness, right? A wilderness of our choosing and going into a wilderness of this world. And many times there are wildernesses that we go through physically that God pulls us into, and we've we've heard about those. those. These were preached on. And God molds us there as well, and he, and he prepares us. But we separate ourselves joyfully to be with him because we know that this world isn't such a joyful place. And this world hates the gospel we carry. It drains us daily, and therefore we must return to him as frequently as we can. In that desolate and lonely place where distractions cease, that is when he begins to shimmer more beautifully than all the gold, silver, diamonds, and beauty of this world. Like we said before, this world is a wilderness, and especially to the follower of Christ, 
It is filled with promises to satiate our thirst, relieve our hunger, and give us joy. But all it does is numb us. What do I mean by that? Numb us. Let me put it to us this way. This world can be seen as a massive, well-marketed spiritual hospice. It can't do anything for what ails us. Nothing at all. But it can hook you up to some morphine. It can take away the pain, maybe some Ativan to relieve your anxiety and remove all restrictions, all those dietary restrictions you may have had because of the ailments you had. Hey, guess what now? Eat what you please. Do as you enjoy. This is what the world has to offer us. It's all about distracting us from the truth. One thing it never does is it never tells you that you're dying. It never does. If the things of this world still shimmer and you don't want to let them go, then what I would probably say is that you're still hooked up to that morphine drip. I want to ask you, when was the last time you were alone with Christ? When was the last time I was alone with Christ? Because instantly when you are alone with him, your eyes will be opened. The morphine stops flowing and he renews your spirit and fills you with a joy that words cannot express. You will be as the man that found treasure in a field and sold all he had to buy that field. You may be hated, but who really cares? You're rich, right? You'll definitely be a nuisance and a thorn to those fleeing from truth and sprinting towards distraction. And few will be those that want to spend time with you. But like I said, you won't care. Why? Because you are wealthy. But the thing is, the wealthy of this world, the wealthy of this world, live that way. They don't really care what you say, what you do. They have it all. The thing is, us, the wealth that we are given, drives us to share that wealth. So while we we can be hated for being wealthy in Christ, all we want to do is spread that wealth to everyone around us. The wealth acquired in this world can be depleted. But the wealth we find in the gospel never depletes. And you can give it away every moment of your life. And at the end of your life, it is just as full as when you found it. There is no way to hide it away in banks because your life will radiate that wealth. Christ will be in everything you do. Similarly, how Moses' face radiated the glory of God. He had to veil it because the Israelites were uncomfortable. Just like us, there is no hiding it. Everyone will know, and they may be uncomfortable. They certainly will. If you're preaching the gospel in truth, they'll be uncomfortable. I mean, even if you look in terms of our local church, Just look at why we're all here today. We are in Garden City, Michigan. We are the body of Christ. We have separated ourselves to be together in the presence of God. The last week has just ended, Saturday. And the next week is ahead of us, right? Very much like where we find the apostles. 
Their last mission has ended. A new mission lies ahead. And in that, inter- in that period in between, we want to do what? Spend time with him. And the body wants to spend time with him. So we come and gather together. We leave the distractions that we know are at home. And we come here, push them aside, and glorify God together. We pray, we sing, we worship. Because God is essential, and separating ourselves unto him is absolutely essential. Without solitude, without being alone with Christ, it's not only detrimental to our spiritual life, but it's actually stunting. It's, it's, it, 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 it's detrimental, but it's stunting. It stunts us completely. We will miss our calling. When, we cannot further the kingdom if we, do not the, if we do not know the king for which we fight. But when we wait on God in that wilderness, we become bold and ready for what lies ahead. And we hear his voice more clearly than ever saying, go. No one is saying that this is going to be only joy and celebration, right? We go there to rest. We find rest in him, absolutely. But rather than, rather than just joy and celebration, being alone with Christ is choosing suffering. It's suffering. It's the best kind of suffering, but it's suffering. Let's go to Luke 22, Luke chapter 22. We'll be be reading about Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is hard. uh, You can't really compare anything that we go through to this this portion of Scripture, but uh, we can try. (laughs) I'll do that. (laughs) I'll do that. So we see here, Luke 22, verse 41. It says, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweats became like drops of blood falling to the ground. The wilderness, like we said before, is not this desolate place that it it can be, definitely can be. But here we see he's in the middle of a garden, but he's alone. He's with his disciples, but he's alone. He's just a stone's throw away, but he's alone. He's alone. Only he can carry this burden. Yes, we will never experience the anguish that Christ felt, knowing that he will have to carry our sin as a man that knew no sin. But we can be anguished over the sin that we have so dearly clung to, knowing that he had to carry that sin to Calvary. And in our moments of alone time with him, this is what brings us to our knees. This is what crushes us. This Calvary crushes us. In the wilderness is when our sin is revealed. We've said that. And it is because we come before a holy God. We see that we are part of the reason Christ had to suffer. Our sins lead to anguish. That's suffering. But through that crushing, that crushing love that happened on Calvary, we are made to be more like him. And that brokenness leads to unspeakable joy and peace and victory, knowing that he has already paid it all. 
right? He has already paid it all. So we need to remember, we must continually go to the wilderness. When he calls us to be alone with him, we must go. We cannot proceed in our walk with Christ if the wilderness is not a place we yearn to be with him. This wilderness specifically. (laughs) The alone time with him. So faithfully going when sent is the next is the next portion of this. this. This is the part that seems to be hardest for most people. Why do I say that? I say that because I think that is because we want to start here. We want to start in the going. We think the beginning is doing, but in reality, it is the preparing and the waiting. That is the beginning. We will never leave the starting line if we have not set our feet in the sprinting blocks and are eagerly awaiting on bended knee for that gun to shoot. If we haven't been practicing and preparing, if we're looking around that huge, whatever it may be, the huge Colosseum or whatever it is, no more Colosseum, but yeah, we won't be ready when, it shot, when the shot goes off. And every time the shot goes off, we'll say, another time. I'll be ready another time. I'll go another time. I'll preach the gospel another time. Oh man, I didn't say anything to my neighbor about Christ this time, another time. Does it seem like just simple, foolish me? Or is this something that we will be judged for one day? That we are not prepared in every moment to give a good account to those that we speak to? That Christ does not burn on our hearts at every moment? That we are not emboldened by the Holy Spirit to tell everyone who is Lord? We will be judged for this. Let's turn, right? He's there to forgive us. That's the beauty of it. And he just calls us, come with me. He's still saying it, come with me. (sighs) And in that wilderness, he continues to work. He continues to make us more like him. And just like that suffering that we see that Christ had in the garden, It led to the greatest act of love and victory in the history of the universe. Similarly, our choice to be alone with our creator and run to the wilderness where his holiness is seen more clearly and our sin is laid bare will make us love him more and therefore love the lost around us. A healthy church is one that is made of members that love to be alone with Christ. And that is the church that will be victorious in piercing the darkness around them with the truth of the gospel. So Summit Church, we will not be effective in the preaching of the gospel if he is not everything for us. Hypocrisy is very easy to tell. It's very easy to see when someone isn't sold out for Christ. Christ must be our everything. Christ must be our everything. Is it not of any curiosity to us that the mission of Jesus Christ began by being drawn to the wilderness and immediately after being baptized and was repeatedly drawn to the wilderness during his ministry? Or even that John the Baptist was called to the wilderness and it is there that his ministry began. Or even like we read about Elijah already, he was taken to the wilderness, fed by ravens before he would go and decimate the prophets of Baal. 
that Israel would be taken to the wilderness before they entered the promised land, or that Joseph would spend time in a desolate jail cell before ruling over Egypt. Moses spent 40 years shepherding sheep before God told him to go and set his people free. In the wilderness, God's small, still voice that we've talked about begins to quench all fear. It becomes clear and overpoweringly compelling. Have, he, have any of us heard that voice? Have you heard him say, go? The message actually, uh, there's no excuse. The message was 2,000 years ago. So if we missed it, there's a problem. It's the same message, go. He told us when he was taken up to heaven, go, spread the gospel, spread the truth to the ends of the earth. But if, if, if you haven't heard those, it's probably because you haven't yet been alone with him. So I would challenge you, go be alone with him. It's not too late today. There's still a chance. Go be alone with him. Begin to run to him in the morning before you leave and at night when you return from your day. So this, this wilderness, this faithfully going when sent and joyfully returning when we have finished our mission is absolutely visible in our lives from the day we come to Christ to the day that we leave this earth. It starts from there to then. We are called, we spend time with him, he sends us, and we return when he comes, when he comes back and we meet him with wide open arms. When we wake, I would encourage us to draw near to him, to seek his face in prayer. Giving the day that we have been given, this day in our lives, to him as the beggar that cannot walk, as the blind, or the beggar that can now walk, the blind man that can now see, and the leper that has been healed. Knowing we can never repay him for what he did for us, and that he died for us before we ever loved him. What else can be compared to him? Is there another worthy of our time, of our devotion, of our praise? There is none. What else could possibly be as exciting? The problem is we find it hard to speak about Christ, and that's a shame for us. Shame on us for finding it hard to speak about Christ. We should find it hard to manage every other aspect of this life because he is constantly pressing on our hearts. He should be ablaze in every part of our being. Our tongues should be weary to name another name but Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If Christ is our ultimate treasure, death himself could be waiting at the door and we will continue to serve him and go when he says go and fear nothing that awaits us. We see the world around us crumbling. We see the institutions that we held faith in not doing what they're supposed to do. Fear is beginning to creep in to the hearts of even believers. We are worried. But why? I would say the fear that you'd have living in this world 
will be directly in alignment with how much time you do not spend with him alone. Because those that find their pleasure with him alone, fear will not be an issue. We will be emboldened. We know we serve a greater king. We're not citizens of this earth. We're citizens of heaven. Let's live like it. Let's live like it. So I want us to, uh, to leave this place with, with one thing on our minds. To not neglect our alone time with God. Because that wilderness is the answer to how, to how you will go through the rest of life. It's, 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 the, it's the picture, the foreshadowing of what your walk with Christ will be. So I'd like to lead us, or I'd like us to go into prayer possibly as a, as a church body and to find that alone place, if possible, right now. I know we're together, but on your knees, he's, he's hearing all of us personally. He's hearing us, he's hearing us all of us separately. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And I'd like us to, to, however we're comfortable, on our knees standing, I'd like us to go into prayer, and I'd like us to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords, to desire and ask that he would bring us near to him, that he would reveal himself to us, and that we would learn to love being alone with him. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.